0: It's a safe assumption, isn't it, when you come to a church that most people at church are Christians and if you make that assumption it would be a safe assumption that a lot of those people went to Sunday school, correct? I'm just wondering if in your mind just now have a think of your favourite Old Testament Sunday school story. Quick think? Okay. Simon the leper probably didn't didn't rate a mention, did it? But I used to love teaching that to my Sunday school kids. One of my favourite stories, you know, the the walls of Jericho. You know, it's that story. it was a great story to teach those kids. And you know, Samson was a great story. You know, with the pillars. And then David and Goliath was really good. And, you know, if you're into dramatising or the, uh, you know, being a you know, good actor, which I'm not. But the Naaman the leper is a great story to tell anybody because you can really dramatise it, really can. We're not going to do that today. I know you're disappointed, I know, but we're not going to do that. We're going to look at Naaman and look at not the actual event and the bits leading up to it in any great depth. are just going to skim over those things. We're going to look at his conversion. Look at his conversion. We're going to talk a bit about that together. But before we do that, can we read the actual story? Second Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 19. It's on page 362 of the Pew Bible. It's a great story. Second Kings chapter five verse one. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the kings of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and a highly regarded and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Iran had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, "If only my master would see the prophet, who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy." Now Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. "By all means, go," the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king read the letter he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry, and he said, I thought that he would surely come out to me, stand and call on the name of his God, and wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpa rivers of Damascus? Better than the waters of israel couldn 't I wash in them and be cleansed, so he turned and went off in a rage. naaman 's servants went to him and said, "My father, if the prophet had have told you to do some great thing, wouldn 't you have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed so naaman so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all of the world except in Israel. Please accept my gift from your servant." The Prophet answered, "As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, so please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules will carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down and he leans on my arm and I bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servants for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman... Sorry, that's it. Yep, that's it. Right, don't want to read the rest. So that's the story of Naaman. I don't know if you were picturing it in your mind, but uh, it's a great story. There's another little verse that I'd like to read to you in in Luke. There's no need to turn to it. You know, it's interesting what people think about the Old Testament. A lot of people don't give it much thought. A lot of people think it's out of date. But there's a little verse in Luke chapter 4. The Lord was trying to tell the people of Israel something and he told them some things about himself and being sent from God and he used two, two historical events in the nation of Israel, things that they knew, facts, not just a story, not a tale, not a myth, facts. And this is what he said in uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 27. And there was a man in Israel with leprosy, in that time of Elisha, the prophet, yet no one, no one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. He was telling them that there was lots and lots of people with leprosy. In fact, throughout the history of Israel, nobody ever was cured of leprosy apart from Naaman. Not a story, a fact something that God did to prove a point. So, and, and uh, there's a little disclaimer on this message. I, all, you know, All day yesterday, all morning this morning, I'm going, Elisha, 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 Elisha. I have this problem. I know you think I have many problems, but this one problem I have, I get Elisha and Elijah mixed up. I really, I, 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 as hard as I try to work out who they are, I know who they are, but I, in preaching, I get them muddled up. So, if you hear the, the name Elijah at any time while I'm preaching, think Elisha, please, alright? And forgive me. Alright, good. So, I'd like to talk about conversion. Ah, conversion. Because this is what this story is really about. Conversion. What is Conversion. Not a not a word that we use a lot of, not even in churches these days. When you look it up in a dictionary, it means a change in character, form or function. And when that meaning is applied to a person, it means this, a change of attitude, emotion or viewpoint from one of indifference or disbelief or antagonism to one of acceptance, faith or, enth- or enthusiastic support. And in the dictionary that I was using, it, it said, especially such as a change in a person's religion. I thought that was interesting. So that's what conversion means in a dictionary. So are you clear about that? Because if you're not, I'm going to tell you about the conversion that we're probably most familiar with, gas conversion. All right. Now that's pretty relevant, You know, the government gave us... Uh, uh, a rebase for changing our cars over to gas a few years back, and uh, you know, there's been a lot in the news about that. Gas conversion is probably the most familiar thing that we, we know, and while it's not a perfect example or analogy, it's pretty good, I think. I'll explain to you why. So, in gas conversion, you have, you have your car and it's running on petrol, and you convert it to run on something else called gas, LPG. Gas, uh, uh, petrol is a very dear product, isn't it? You know, it just keeps going up and up and up and up. It's very expensive. Gas is cheaper. Now, I promised the guy that I got all this information from that I would plug his business. Smithy's Gas Conversion. He told me this. all right? He told me this. He's a Christian, by the way. He told me this. Petrol, high carbon emissions. Very you know, relevant point. G- uh, gas, low carbon emissions. Interesting, isn't it? Now, he also told me that to make a car go on gas, you need to put a few extra bits and pieces in. One of the main things is a gas converter. That's what it's actually called, a gas converter. A- and it regulates things like pressure, and it vaporises, and it's a regulator. And he explained it all, but it was too technical for me. But it's an interesting analogy because it's very similar to what happens to a person when they have an experience of conversion, when they convert to becoming a Christian. Very similar. You know, a gas car, a car that's been converted to gas, when you look at it, it doesn't look any different, does it? It it looks exactly the same. You may notice a little sticker on the number plate, but apart from that, it doesn't look any different. And you know, it still does the same thing. You know, turn the engine, turn the key, the engine starts, and you go. If you remember to put it in gear, of course, because I've had, I've got, my wife has a new car and uh, the, the gearing is a little bit different. And the first time I tried to do that, it didn't go. All right. It still needs fuel. You know, just because you, you, you go from petrol to gas doesn't mean you never go to the petrol station, it doesn't cost you anything. You still need fuel. But it's a different type of fuel and it costs a lot less. Now, on a trip, now this is where the biggest difference comes that on a trip, say for example you're going to go like for Garth, for example, is in uh, Queensland. From from City to Queensland, it's one thousand seven hundred and nineteen kilometres. One thousand seven hundred and nineteen kilometres. According to the uh, little thing that I was looking up, it takes you 20 hours and six minutes to get there from Montmorency. Now, pat in your little car, 40 hours, and some of us may get there a little bit quicker. But nevertheless, that's how long it takes. Now, gas, uh, petrol versus gas, you're still going to get there, aren't you? And you're still going to get there roughly in the same amount of time. The gas is cheaper, it's going to cost you less. And to, to the environment it's much better because there's less carbon emissions. So the outcome is better. You still get to the right destination, but it's a, it's a better outcome. But I want to ask you this question. What do you think is the most important thing in this new car that's been converted to gas? The most important component of that car. Audience participation is appreciated. What do you think it would be? I know you're not very technical. I've had a couple of gas cars. Anyone got a gas car? Gas car? All right. What's the, what do you reckon the most important thing to remember about a gas car is? To remember about it? Yeah. Still fuel Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it, the switch. The switch. In the gas conversion, the most important thing is the switch. Now, what you say, what switch, Ralph? What switch? Right? All those things are true. But in a gas car, you know, on the dash or underneath, or somewhere, you know, there's this little switch that goes from petrol to gas. Do you know how frustrating it is to have a gas car yeah, you know, most cars, I don't know if it's still still true now with more modern technology, but most gas cars, you have to start them on petrol. Well, oh, they don't start very well. And if you take off on petrol and, you know, you get taken up with what's on the radio or watching the thing, you forget to switch the switch. And you're driving along thinking, I'm saving heaps of money, and you drive past, ha, 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 look, $1.36 for petrol, ha, ha. And you get to where you're supposed to go and you look down and you realise... I've driven there pet, on petrol. I haven't saved anything. This morning, there are people here who have never been converted. That's bad. The bad thing, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you haven't had an experience like Naaman has had. That's pretty ordinary Very bad. I also know there's lots of people here this morning. Who have been converted and that's great praise the Lord for that but the switch is in the wrong position we're going to look at that the driver needs to flick the switch has to consciously choose to use gas over petrol and it's the same with Christians we may be converted we may have accepted Jesus Christ as our saviour but are we living like that Is there evidence that we're doing that? Yeah, we may be able to do the same things that everyone else is doing, but we're not getting the benefit of our conversion. Just like if I drive my car on petrol instead of gas, I'm going to get to Queensland or wherever I'm going, but I'm not going to get the benefit of that conversion, that gas conversion, am I? I'm not going to get the benefit. Naaman. Naaman was a... um, was an interesting character. he starts off a proud, strong, notable uh, warrior, a valiant man they said, and, and he's very well respected and and appreciated by his king. obviously had won many battles for the king, gained a lot of territory, treasure for the for the treasury and stuff like that. an important man, but he had leprosy you can read his the account here a very brief account and you get the impression that he's a very arrogant man has a has a temper problem doesn't he he gets angry he's proud he has he has he has issues and he comes from a from a country where where their their religion is is ceremonial you know they have they have different things to do and it's it's you know like uh, they have maybe types of priests, special temples, idols and all sorts of things. That's the sort of man he is. But after he has his encounter with Elisha, he's converted. And six things, we notice, six things in Naaman's life have been transformed. And that's what the word transform means up there, to change in condition, nature character and again, I was very interested in that diction definition, it actually said to convert. So when something is transformed, it's converted from one thing to another, whether it's thought, deed, character, whatever it might be. So, as we look at Naaman's life, what we know of it here in this passage, I hope you still have it open there with you because we're going to look at some interesting little uh, sentences and words in that uh, passage. The first thing that we notice is that Naaman's behaviour changes, doesn't it? The very first thing. Sometimes, and this happened to me when I became a Christian when I was first converted, you know, you go and tell your mates, you know, I'm a Christian now. Yeah, what does that mean, man? I thought you were always, aren't you, Roman Catholic? Yeah, yeah, no, I, it was, yeah, I was, but I, I'm, am now a Christian. I'm a born again Christian. I thought that would explain it to them, and you know they didn't get it. Probably because I couldn't explain it really well. And, that, and sometimes it's hard, isn't it, to to explain to someone else your conversion experience in words, isn't it? Especially when you fir- when it first happens. When you're, when you're a new Christian. But you know, my mates, it took them probably not even a week to realise that I was different. I wasn't the same. My behaviour had changed straight away. I smoked, I stopped smoking. It wasn't easy, but I did it. Saturday night... Well, that was an interesting thing because most Saturday nights we went to the pub. Browns on the corner of Sydney Road and Bell Street. Spent a lot of time in there. Didn't go Saturday night. Straight away they knew I was different. So so a conversion experience should change a person's behaviour. It did with Naaman, didn't it? Where was all that pride? Where was all that arrogance that we read about at the start of that little passage? Where was that anger because the prophet didn't come out and see me? It's gone. It wasn't really washed away in the River Jordan, you know. It's gone. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 11 there. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he should surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of his God. His God. And wave his hand over the, the, the spot. And man he was angry. You go over to, to a couple of verses there, verse uh, 15. Uh, And you see there, he he goes and with all his attention, he stood before him and said, "Now I know, you know, that there's no other God in all the world except in Israel." There was no anger there, was there? There was humility. There was appreciation. There was a realization. Something had changed. He also returns to give thanks, doesn't he? You know, you know, it's approximately sixty kilometers from the River Jordan to where they believed this place where Elisha was living at the time, 60 kilometres. You know, in a chariot, that takes a while. In fact, they reckon that it's not even... He would have to have gone out of his way. He could have gone back to Syria, uh, uh, Syria by a different route from Jordan and it would have been, you know, a better option. But he didn't. He went back to see this man, Elisha. He was thankful. You know... He had an appreciation of what had happened to him. You know he came with with gold and clothing and all this stuff to give to the king in the hope that he would be cured. And his behaviour tells us that, you know he had a different appreciation of what what had happened to him. And he wanted to offer the gift to Elisha, didn't he? He said, oh, would you take He said, no, 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 I won't take anything. The other thing that we noticed about, and this would have been difficult, I think, for a man like Naaman, because it's difficult for a man like me and most of us, he had to admit that he was wrong. It says there that he went to this man Elisha's house with all of his attendants and he admitted his error. You know, he, he, said, he said at the start there, didn't we? He? he said, I thought, I thought the, the prophet would come out and do these things. He also thought that if he went and saw the king, it would be the right thing to do, to cure him his leprosy. He thought that if he brought a lot of, a lot of gifts, you know, inducements to the king, it would be a good thing. But he was wrong, wasn't he? He was wrong. It took his, his servants to point out to him. Now, you know, you know, you know. Now, this is how we know that Naaman was arrogant and a proud man. He said, "Now, now if he had said to you, Naaman, go out and slay all these people, or take that city, or you know, do some mighty deed, you would have done it, wouldn't you?" And Naaman would have thought, "Yeah, I, would have done that. I, I can do that." And he said, and, and that little thing. Well, he, he said, just go and wash. Just go and wash. Too simple for Naaman. Conversion, God's offer of salvation is too simple for us. Give me something hard to do, something I can. I, I did this for my salvation. That's not what God says. Trust in my Son, Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Too simple. You know the part about Naaman that I love telling the kids. I love, I love you know the kids to sit and watch and listen to the story, and I say, you know, Naaman he went down to the to the River Jordan, and he went in and and and, uh, and he dipped down once, and he got up and no, it hadn't gone. And he dipped down the second time, and it still hadn't washed. And he probably rubbed it, and still didn't go away. And he probably said, I say because he probably said to the said, look, it's not working. And his servants on the shore would have said, but the, the prophet said seven times. Keep doing it. You know, and he went down the fourth time and the fifth time and, he, and nothing is happening. Yeah, you know, the kids are all doing oh, Love it. I love telling this story to the kids. If you're a Sunday school teacher, tell them this story. It's great. And then you say, you know, and then he went down the seventh time. And guess what happened? Oh, yeah. He came up and it was gone a simple thing. But it requires obedience, did not it? Not four times, not five times, not even six, but seven times. It didn't make any difference whether it was five or six. It was what the prophet said he had to do. It's what God asks us to do to be saved is what's important. And he asks us to trust his son only his son, nothing else. That's conversion. I've lost my. Uh, here we go. Hang on, wait a minute. Here it is. Oh, where is it? Here it is. Now the <sighs> technology, eh? technology. The second thing that changes is our is our uh, is our relationship with God. Um, okay. There was no relationship with God as far as name was concerned. He had other gods, didn't he? He had gods back in Syria. And you get this idea from that little phrase that he talks when he, when he is venting to his uh, entourage. He said, I would have expected this man to come and call upon the na- the Lord the name of the Lord, his God. So there was no relationship between this God and Naaman. If you're not a Christian, you do not have a relationship with the Almighty God. You don't have one. I was speaking to someone yesterday and reminded them that They may not have a relationship with that God, but he still loves them. You know, that may sound like a contradiction, but it's not. If you don't have a relationship with God, then you stand condemned before God. That's what the Bible says. That's what God says. But he still loves you. But if he loves me, how can he condemn me? Because we don't change. And he says in his word, he says that if we neglect or reject the salvation that he provides through his son Jesus Christ, we we remain condemned. There has to be a change in our lives, in our behaviour, in our attitude, in our character in our standing between him and God. Everything changes at conversion. And that's what happened to Naaman. He says, his God. And then you go over the page here and he says, now I know. Now I know, he says. There is no God in all the world except in Israel. And how do we know that that this God, this Israeli God, is now naming God because he says, you know, I want, I want some dirt to from here. You know, this is a, you know, an Old Testament sort of thing, you know, to build. An, he wanted to build a little altar back at home in Syria so he wouldn't have to go to the temple anymore and offer sacrifices to those idols, those false gods, because he wanted to offer burnt offerings, which was a worship offering, to, to, to the only God the only God in the world, the God that the Israelites worship, the God that we believe in, the God that offers salvation to you and me because he loves us. See, the the love is displayed in the offering of that salvation. If we do nothing about it, you know, Naaman was offered salvation from leprosy Cleansing from leprosy, go and wash. You know, if he hadn't have been talked into going to the Jordan, he would have just gone back to Syria. God loved Naaman, provided for him an opportunity to be cleansed of leprosy. If he had gone back to Syria, would does that mean God didn't love him? No way. God still loved him. Still offered him the salvation, but Naaman had to act on that on that on that offer of, of of salvation. He had to he had to participate in that love with God. God loved us. We've we've looked at this in Romans, didn't we, as a church? God loved us while we were yet or still enemies, while we were enemies of God. Did He forgive us? No. He loved us and sent his Son to be our Saviour, to offer salvation. That's great. I reckon that's fantastic, don't you think? And when you accept that salvation, the relationship between you and God changes. You're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. You're no longer an enemy. You're a child of God. You have a relationship with God. You know, I love that those two little phrases. One in one in verse uh, eleven, I thought, and then in verse fifteen, I know. You know, that's us, isn't it? We think that God's like this, and we want to worship Him like that, and this is how I'm going to get to heaven. That's how we think. Naaman had an experience, didn't he? He knew. He knew that God was unique. This God of Israel is unique. He's not just an ordinary God. He's the God. In fact, he says he's the only God. Other gods that he believed in, he says, he, listen to this, he says, now I know that there is no other God, uh, there is no, no God at all in the world. There is no other God at all. They don't exist. There can only be one God. He's come to know something, hasn't he? He doesn't think about it anymore. His thoughts aren't what's so important. It's what's, what is true and what is knowledgeable. And, and he's, he's saying this. He's saying all these things, right? To who? Well, there's no point in telling Elisha that. Elisha knows all that. But we read, didn't we, in the first part of verse 15, Naaman and all his attendants, All those people there, he would have had a huge entourage going along with him. And he he confessed, didn't he? Before all those people, there is no God in the world other than the one that's in Israel. The third thing, I have to hurry because the time's running out. I've got to get through six of them. Our giving, conversion, oh, I'm not about giving again, Raph. I, I, I didn't know that uh, Garth was going to be doing the giving thing when I didn't know, no, but it does because it tr- transforms our giving. You know, Naaman had a desire, didn't he? He said, oh, so much has been given to me. I've got a new life. So much has been given to me. He wants to give something back. You know, you know I, I find that that is a Christian trait, to give. Not just money. Generosity, as you know, Garth talked about all this last week. Generosity is a God trait; it really is. You know, we live in a society where it's me, me. What, eat, what can I have? What can I have? What can I get? What can you give me? We look to the government. Give me, give me, give me. How keen are we to give back to the government? Yeah. <laughs> Tax minimisation. That a Christian trait, a God trait, is giving, and here He gives, He offers the Elisha the the a gift which Elisha refused, but He also gives gives time in in gratitude, and He wants to He wants to do that back in His own place. So He he gives He gives um, His His uh, conversion transformed His attitude of of wanting to give something because of what had happened, the experience that he had. You know, a Christian owes God a great debt, a great debt. We could never repay. So we don't give to repay. We give in appreciation, you know. And it's not just money, it's time and worship because that's the next thing. It transforms our worship. True worship is giving thanks to God. We do that here. I'm so pleased about that. That's what Naaman did. You know, as I explained to you before, he could have gone straight back to Syria from Jordan. Clean, look at that, no leprosy, let's go. He took the time to go back. I mean, he didn't know much, but he went, he knew, look, I have to thank somebody for this and, and I'm going to go back to Elisha, because that's where I heard about this thing. And he, and he came back. And you know, there's only ever been two lepers ever returned to give thanks for their cleansing. This, this man, Naaman. And then there was that one leper. You know, remember those ten lepers that were healed and cleansed by the Lord? Only one of them came back. True appreciation, understanding what has happened and what I have got from God. And what I didn't get from God, judgment, true appreciation. So he came back and he gave thanks. True worship is also understanding and knowing God. You can't really worship something that you don't understand. And and (coughs) God wants us to be saved by the knowledge of the truth. We read that in scripture. He also wants to be worshipped like that. I remember when when the Lord was talking to this Samarian, Samaritan woman and she talked about how they come here and, and we worship over here? And the Lord said, Oh. You worship something you don't understand. you don't know what you're worshiping. That's not what God wants. He wants us to, to know him. He wants us to be understood. And you remember when 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 Paul went to Mars Hill in Athens? And he said to them, "Oh, here's a God that you're worshiping you don't, you don't even know him. Let me tell you about him. God wants to be known not by everyone else as well, which is what the gospel is. He wants to be known by his people, his children, and so we need we need to be able to worship God not just by coming here but by understanding him, by knowing by li- reading his word." That's how relationships build. See how they're all intertwines, And and so he wants wants to, to make himself known to you as an individual on a personal level. It's only going to happen two ways. Reading his word and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to teach us about God. So if you... So, studying God's word, reading it, and and I know it's hard to read, I know. It interferes with TV watching and sport and sleeping. But God, the the word of God reveals to us (coughs) who God is. You're not going to find out any other way. And that's what the Holy Spirit uses to teach us about God. So, if you're reading or studying, going to home groups, Bible studies, whatever it is, it's an act of worship. Did you realise that? You just went, you were just going thinking, I'm just going to go and learn something here. It's also an act of worship. (coughs) God wants exclusiveness. You know, the commandment, the first commandment, what is it? You shall have no other gods before you. You know, that one there. <coughs> I'm having trouble here. Anyway, must be time to finish. God, God wants exclusive in the first place. And here's what we see in Naaman. He's got rid of all the other gods and he's already making provision to take back some dirt, to, form, to, to, to build a little altar so he can worship this God of Israel back in his homeland. That's not going to be hard. Uh, it, sorry, that's not going to be easy for him to do this going to be hard. It would be like uh, you trying to start up a uh, a little local church in a Muslim country. Pretty much the same sort of deal. But he was going to do that because he wasn't going to be bothered worshipping any any other gods and that's what God wants. Very quickly now to the fifth one. Conversion transforms our view of others. You can tell by the reading there, you can you can sort of surmise that he didn't think have very very high opinion of this man Elisha when he first uh, went to his house. Didn't even, didn't even meet him. Elisha sent out the servant. And I don't think I don't think Naaman appreciated who this man was. He was God's servant. I mean God at that particular time spoke to the nation of Israel through the prophets. And Elisha was probably. Not the number one prophet at the time. He had no appreciation of that. But it's interesting when you when you go back uh, when you go uh, sorry forward from that meeting to verse 17, and there he says he says if you uh, Naaman, if you will not said Naaman, please let your servant be given. All of a sudden, Naaman is Elisha's servant. You know, I can just see Naaman strutting up to, the, to Alicia's house thinking, you know, I, I'm very popular at where I'm from and the king loves me and gave all this money to get me cured and all, you know. And he had the impression that, look, I was told to come here but, you know, I don't know, I really, I don't, I'm not really sure I should be here. It's just probably a little little ordinary dwelling and, and and now he he goes back to that same place, same house, knocks on the door. Door opens. Here's Elisha. I don't know what Elisha looked like, but he probably wasn't dressed very well in the you know in royal regal robes, and and he says, "I'm your servant." So he had an appreciation of who this man of God is now. One of the things that should happen to us as Christians is that we should have an appreciation of other Christians, especially other Christians who are experienced and have knowledge of God's word and <coughs> Christian life and things like that. That's what Elisha represents. Elisha was nothing special really, but he had a great relationship with God, he was used of God, he, he revered God, and you can learn a lot from Mimicking Elisha, the Apostle Paul. Nothing remarkable about the Apostle Paul, you know. In fact, uh, he had a few issues himself, just like you and I. The remarkable thing about Paul was that he could say, "Follow my example as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate imitate Christ." That's the remarkable thing about Paul. And you know what? The expectations are the same for you and me if you're a Christian, if you've been converted. And you know what else I have to look to other 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 people other Christians and appreciate their 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 experience their knowledge their giftedness that God has given them So that's something that happens at conversion as well and the last one number 6 we notice that Naaman's sensitivities had changed. All of a sudden, he was more aware of the things he was doing. We, we read that in that little incident where he, he has to go with the king to the temple. You know, it's going to be awkward for me. This. He's also aware of 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 doing the right thing as far as as God is concerned and other people. At conversion, we need to become more sensitive to the environment that we live in, more sensitive to sin. We need to be able to discern what's right and wrong. And it does happen because we have the Holy Spirit in us. That's like the converter in the car engine. It's the thing that changes the fuel and vaporises and does all those magic things. We need to become more sensitive. It's a sign of being truly converted. Now, Another thing that we looked at in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, a few weeks back. A little verse there. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. There's that word, transformed. By the renewing of your mind. It's an expectation. This morning, I hope that the Spirit has challenged you. The question I'd like to ask you is Have you been converted? I probably haven't explained this very well. It's always rushed up here. And, you know, I, I do have limited uh, ability. But I think the Word of God that we read this morning would indicate that there has to be a radical change in us when we are converted. And, and, and you read the rest of the Bible, and you see that that's, that's the case. So have you been converted? I hope you're just not coming to church hoping that or thinking like, like name it, I fought by doing this, because something has to happen in your life. If you are converted, if you are a Christian, my challenge you is to ask yourself, have you flicked the switch?" Are you running on petrol or gas? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to control you and transform you and to renew your mind? Challenging things. Let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to read your word. I thank you, Father, that in it you have given us tremendous examples and teachings and records of events that happened in the past for us to learn from Help us, Father, to examine our lives in the light of your word. Allow the Holy Spirit that dwells in us to convict us of the things that need to be attended to. Father, I just pray that you would help us to to live lives that are true to our calling, that our behaviour conforms to the things that we profess with our mouth. And Father, I just thank you this morning again that you loved us so much that you gave us your Son to be our Saviour. I hope and pray, Father, that everyone in this room has accepted him to be their Saviour and Lord. We ask this in the Saviour's name. Amen.